Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Mac Report. Sorry for the lack of the last two week reviews of matches. Uh, it's just one of those things where I guess towards the end of the season, people have got a lot on, uh, starting back to work and all that sort of thing. However, we are here now, joined by firstly, first team captain James Cross and then latterly second team captain Chris France to do a bit of a season review. We've got a few bits and pieces to talk about, some some numbers, some stats, a bit of badgering, and then we are going to give out some captain's awards, not to be confused with the end of season awards, uh, but we will be getting each of the captains across the four teams to to give out some awards. Um, so firstly, I'd like to welcome back uh, James Cross, all the way from episode one of Get It Whacked. Crossy, how are you? Steve, manage yourself? I'm very well indeed, thank you, mate. Very well indeed. Good to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be back. I think I must be almost appearing in uh, double figures now. Yeah, I mean, we we need to change that very swiftly. I think you can have too much of a good thing, can't you? Uh, I wouldn't say a good thing, but just get rid of my monotone voice. You know what I mean, there's uh, probably a lot of kids at Tillington who are very fed up with it already, anyway. Well, I would like to think that if you go back to the first episode and listen to you now as an experienced podcast veteran, that you know you, you've gained a lot of inflection and dare I say it, some some less monotone. But uh, that's not for me to decide. Maybe that's up to the listeners, Crossy. What do you reckon? You're the musician with the with the perfect note or whatever it is, perfect key. <laughs> I don't know. If there's anything perfect about my musicianship, mate. But uh, anyway, that's enough about that. Let's get on to some cricket. So I just thought you could kind of set the scene for the first team this year, maybe talk about the format and the season and, and possibly what you were just hoping to achieve, really. Yeah, so it was uh, obviously a shortened season due to the global pandemic that's going on. Essentially, we were split into, uh, Div 1 was split into an East and West League. Uh, there's six teams in each. We had the likes of Bramall, Marple, Bollington, Congleton and Ermston in our league. So the deal was we play three of them twice and two of them once. And you have a choice of playing either a 40 over format or two T20s. I made it very clear from the start that we were going to play two T20s and they were worth sort of like half the number of points as the 40 over game. We had a we had a good crack at it. We had a fairly young side. We were missing some experience early on, which throughout the season really it did worry me at the start, um, especially the lack of uh, the lack of potential bowling, losing Craig to Leak, and uh, obviously losing Wardy last year. So we had a real void to fill in terms of bowlers. Well, I think it's fair to say that you uh, you discovered a few players this year, um, both young and a little bit less young, uh, in the form of uh, Paul Butterworth, shall we say. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. No end. But moving on to kind of, just to talk about kind of the, the start of the season, really, and, and a few games. You know, we, we went over most of these games throughout the course of the Mac report, so we won't dwell on them too much. But um, Macclesfield first team had uh, a, a good warm-up win on Sunday the 19th of July against sort of local rivals Bollington, which, which wound out being a a pretty comfortable win for Mac in the end. And then that took us on to Saturday, the 25th of July. The first were away to Marple and a pretty comprehensive set of wins in, in both games, Crossy, with first of all, Macclesfield posting 125 for eight off their 20 overs and then Marple 88 for eight off their 20. And then in the second game, Marple uh, batted first and scored 79 all out in 19.2, with Macclesfield knocking it off one down. Um, just to get some of your thoughts and, and any sort of memories from that first uh, league game, really. OK, so for a start, the game's a bit around, but we'll go with it, Miles. Listen, Crossy, it's the usual caveat, mate. Play cricket's never that accurate. I'm just going with uh, what's in front of me and, um, you know, I'll just bury whoever... Uh, Phil's in play cricket, Richard Flint. No worries. They, they do tend to have times on, but I know 
I know you struggle with that, uh, being from Litchfield and all, so it's all right. I'm not a numbers man, Crossy. That's your domain, let's be honest. You do the music, I'll do the numbers. So, um, yeah, essentially, um, I think we won the toss and had a bowl. And um, they were quite keen to play a 40-over game and I managed to persuade them as it was the default to play two T20s. And um, I soon sort of regretted that decision, really, having had them about 28 for eight. Uh, we could have been home for about two o'clock. Um, but they eventually got eight to in the first innings. Fine opening spells from Paul Butterworth, uh, Paddy Turner, uh, Jack Massey, okay, uh, Birchie as well. Everyone sort of like chipped in, um, which, like you said, led to them 79 all out. And then uh, from what I can remember, Angus and Birchie, uh, well, Birchie went a little bit feral. Um, my favourite moment from the first game really was Birchie on 45, hit a four. To take him on to 49, the umpire called no ball. So he's stranded on 49, which uh, which is fantastic to see, really. Obviously, uh, 50s are quite hard to come by, especially in the shorter format, uh, let alone 100s. So that, that was the first game. Then the second game, we uh, batted first this time, and we managed to face 123. I think this time Nipper offered a little bit of stability, and uh, there was a little bit of lower order hitting, which got us to 120-odd. And again, we managed to restrict with uh, what I thought at the start of the season was our, our limited bowling. Um, we managed to restrict uh, Marple to about 80-odd and, and we're comfortable winners. Yeah, and I assume after that game, you, you must have had a lot of confidence in both your ability to compete at that standard, which has never been in question, but I suppose with a, a, a you know let's say, a good half a first team from last year missing. And as you say, some inexperienced or maybe unproven bowlers at that standard. I assume you were you were pretty pleased with uh, with what you saw, frankly. Uh, 100%. Um, I thought it was really, really good. Some young lads stepping up. Um, people just being a lot more consistent. Do you know what I mean? It's obviously my, it was my first year skipper as well. And then coming to me with ideas, um, which is something that I'm very, very grateful for. And I think it should be should be the way cricket's cricket's done, really. Each bowler's got their own individual plan and and they should follow that plan as much as possible. Uh, obviously, some games foresee that if there's a short boundary or a long boundary, you might have to bowl to certain areas. But on the whole, all our bowlers bowled very well and to a plan that either mostly on the whole they came up with uh, and occasionally I try to come up with as well. And what were your, uh, not to single anybody out specifically, but what were your sort of thoughts after seeing um, Paddy and, and Paul Butterworth sort of up close, as it were, in that first game? Paul's very tall up close from a physical stature. Um, and we'd faced him a bit in the nets and he was he was very tricky. He offers something uh, quite different, uh, coming from quite a big height. Ball's quite a heavy ball and uh, manages to swing it in, which is uh, which is very nice. So he bowled really well. Sadly, I think he only played the couple of games for us um, due to holiday commitments. Um, but on the other hand, Paddy Turner uh, was consistently fantastic for us, opening up the bowling uh, week in, week out, um, taking lots of wickets and, and not going for many runs. Um, also mentioned Tom Key. I think he bowled in the second game. I don't think he actually bowled him in the first game. Um, but since then, uh, Paddy and Tom Key have opened up week in, week out, and they've almost swapped roles throughout the season. So one of them te- seems to go for a few more runs but takes wickets, and then the lad at the other end 
will not take any wickets but go for under three or four and over, which in a 2020 format, especially with the early power play, only allowed two fielders out, um, was very, very impressive. So those two formed a formidable partnership, really. Very good. And then uh, moving on towards the back end of the season, obviously we we didn't cover these games um, in in the MAC report. As I said, you know, time constraints, all that sort of stuff. Second to last game of the season, we were atop the division. Unfortunately, had uh, a couple of losses away at Bollington, um, which took us into the final weekend, which is against Ermston. And as I understand it, the ones needed to win both of those games to give themselves a sniff of getting into that finals day. In the end, unfortunately, Ermston, uh, I believe, won the first game and the second game was drawn. Is that uh, about right? It is, yeah. So, like I said, we, like you said, sorry. We, uh, we went into the day uh, quite optimistic. Um, we'd beaten them once before, earlier on in the season, and then draw, and then lost the second game. So we were thinking that we could potentially do a job on them um, for both games, uh, if we managed to switch on. It sadly didn't pan out that way. Uh, they got off to a very good start. I think they were always in the driving seat, really, having only needing to win one game puts more of the pressure on us but we did again we bowled really well and we just leaked a few too many runs on the odd occasion the odd bad ball and they're sort of like top order batsmen uh were very very capable putting the bad balls away and there was there was quite a short boundary as well which they utilized quite well um so i think they ended up getting to about 150 was it miles yeah something like that and then in response me and gus at the top of the order uh, got us to about 50-odd for none after about eight overs. Um, but then it was always going to be tricky because they took the pace off the ball on a pitch that was turning quite a lot. And um, they did field really, really well. They took some really good catches on the boundary and, and they cut off a lot of runs for us. And and we did struggle. I think I think it was a sort of game where we just needed to have a go at some point because obviously it's all very good and well saying, right, let's take twos, let's take threes. Uh, when they've got fielders on the boundary everywhere, it's quite hard to do. So sometimes I think a lesson to learn in the future for us is, is just have a go, which we did towards the end, but sort of like back ourselves to try and hit it over the rope and hit it over the fielders sometimes. Um, but we got to a very, very respectable, about 120. And sadly, we didn't win the first game, uh, which made the second game a bit of a dead rubber. But we still had second place to fight for. We batted first this time. And we didn't get off to quite as good a start from what I remember, but we ended up getting to about 130 uh, after our 20 overs. And we did bowl really, really well. We restricted them, especially in the early and the middle overs, and left them needing quite a few off the last uh, few overs. I think it's 14 off the last. And then uh, they managed to get a six off, I think, the second ball, the last over, which left them needing sort of two ball, which I think Ben Kerwin... Ben Curran did bowl well in that last over. I think they got a, a couple of singles and then sadly hit a four off the uh, off the last four, um, which brought the scores level, uh, which ended up giving us a draw. So, so in the end, I think we just missed out on second place on net run rate. So no uh, dramatic super over or anything like that? No, well, it was quite funny, actually. The umpires were saying that because um, Emerson lost less wickets, they actually won. Um, to which my argument was it's a league game. The rules actually in the handbook are a little bit uh, obscure in that they follow the same T20 Cup rules as last year, um, which does say the team that's lost most least wickets wins. 
but there was an option on play cricket to put a T20 draw. So, uh, so we we sorted that out of the league, and it it did end up being a draw. Well, it's a shame not to get through to that uh, final day the next day, but obviously with a you know a young team in well half of a young team, should we say, uh, and, and some inexperience there. I guess you must have been pretty pleased with the with the overall outcome and and, and sort of developments from the season. Is that fair to say? Oh, a hundred percent. I think, like I said, looking looking into the season without the likes of Cal. Uh, Ports, Ollie Marsden, um, obviously Craig had gone. I was I was quite worried just because of that lack of experience really within the side. But having quite a young side as well, which which proved to be uh, a massive upside uh, of the first team this year. I think everyone stepped up. I was I was sort of going through the lads at the end of the season, saying like good things about them, and everybody contributed in in at least one game, which for an eight season eight-game season is exemplary. I thought the efforts that we were putting in, both on and off the field, were fantastic. I just think I was really proud of the lads and, and where we got to throughout a weird but difficult season was was so, so good. We were competing with teams who had just been relegated from the Prem. We were competing and beating teams that had just missed out on promotion last year. Um, so it's very, very positive uh, for the club going forward. And one thing I must note is actually towards the last well throughout the majority of the season actually i think at least nine or ten of the lads had come from the maxfield academy so really really good lots of homegrown talent uh, i think the only prime culprit that wasn't was john birchall and uh, finn mccants i think he played a couple of academy games but played the majority of his young career at presbury the less said about John Birchall, frankly, the better. Correct. Feral <laughs> human being. Rossi, moving swiftly onwards, I think I thought it'd be good to talk about a few stats here. Got to appease the Badgers out there, including myself. So we're going to talk about some batting numbers, first of all. At the top of the, uh, the, the batting sort of table, chart, whatever you want to call it, we've got Angus Thompson with 303 runs from 15 games, including five not outs, which I think is, is definitely worth mentioning. A highest score of 64. He averaged 30 with a strike rate of 78. Some questionable human being in second place by the name of James Cross. 17 games, 15 innings, one not out. 237 runs with a highest score of 56, uh, averaging 16.9, striking at 95. And then uh, the aforementioned feral individual himself, John Birchall, 15 games, 14 innings, one not out, 205 runs with 49 not out, as you mentioned, as his highest score. I will just mention a couple of other people because I think it'd be worth doing so. In fourth, we've actually got Jack Massey, played 17 games, 12 innings, 162 runs. And um, I don't know what your feelings are about that, but I think it's uh, one of the things that occurred to me was that the development of, of Jack's batting and not only in, in being able to hit a pretty long ball, but um, for, for a young lad, and, and we keep saying this, forgetting that he's been playing first team cricket for a while now, but um, seeing him come through with the bat must have been pretty pleasing um, alongside, you know, the, the, the previous three individuals I mentioned. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Jack really stepped up this year, uh, both with bat and ball. I think with the bat, he was batting sort of slightly low down the order. Obviously, in the shorter format, came in uh, as a bit of a hitter, along with the likes of Paddy Turner and Ben Kerwin down the order. And, and they all came off sort of like at least two and maybe three times uh, this season, which is fantastic, especially in the shortened format. Um, so going into the season ahead, it offers us a bit more depth with the bat, a bit more confidence with the bat. And it, it just means that we can structure our innings in a slightly different way. 
um, trying to really be solid and secure at the start of the innings, and then being able to rely on sort of like the late order hitting um, when it comes to that. But um, I think in, on the whole, our, our batting was good. Uh, the average is probably, say, slightly different, probably apart from Angus. Um, but that's, that's, again, down to the format that we we're playing. Um, do you know what I mean? It's very, very hard to maintain a good average, especially if you come in and need in sort of 10, 12 and over. Um, sometimes you've got to put uh, the team before your own stats, um, which everyone really did. Everyone had a good go. And, and there was lots and lots of very good performances. Uh, awesome shout out to slightly different roles in uh, Nipper, Finn McCants, who sort of like came in uh, most of the time, four, five, six around there. And, and played sort of like a very good supporting role to, to a lot of the hitters, whether it's nudging ones, getting boundaries themselves, but really offering that secure stability uh, that enabled everyone to sort of like bat around them. And it meant that we had lots of different options regarding the batting order as well. Yeah, the other person I was going to mention was uh, good old Nipper with sort of 16 games, 15 innings, four not outs, which I think goes to, to sort of, uh, illustrate your point um scoring 127 runs with a higher score of 24 but again if we look at that strike rate um of 70 obviously just being in there to be busy and, and have a, a different role to say uh, a paddy or you know even a jack massey who are coming in to play a few more shots um so i think if you look at the uh, the strike rates and i know this is something that in the professional game they focus a lot on in t20 cricket we've got angus at 78 crossy yourself at 95 Birchie at 107, Jack Massey at 105, and, and then Nipper at uh, 70. And, and topping the lot is Paddy Turner at 123. Um, so, you know, like you say, whilst some of those averages might look a little low, I think if you look at the strike rates there, they're, uh, they're right up there. And, you know, you've got three batsmen with more than 200 runs and uh, five batsmen with more than 100. So obviously batting has not been a massive concern um, you know through the season and you've got some good numbers and, and some some good performances in there throughout the innings and throughout the order I would say yeah 100 percent. and like you said it's it's more building for next year and it's it's identifying sort of like our game plan because I'd, I'd like to take sort of like the 2020 format into into a longer format that I'm sure we're going to play next year and it really it's been a good season to figure out everyone's strengths everyone's weaknesses really um do you know what I mean? There's, there's always things that we can improve that we're going to work on uh, through the winter. And I'm sure next year we will come back even bigger and even better and even stronger. Hopefully not bigger uh, when it comes to me, though. Very good. You uh, you line them up and you can knock them out of the park yourself, because if you don't, I will. Um, moving on to the bowling, mate. Um, we've got, uh, again, some pretty good numbers here. Um, top of the top of the pile is Jack Massey with 22 wickets from 70 overs, with a best of three for 11, uh, an economy rate of 4.7. Um, John Birchall with 50 overs, 19 wickets, a best of three for 14, an economy of 4.8. And uh, Paddy Turner, 63 overs, uh, 18 wickets, a best of five for nine, and an economy of 4.5. But um, a few of the things that, that jump out at me there, obviously Paddy's five for nine, very, very good indeed. But he also bowled six maidens. Um, and to say anybody that's bowled six maidens in a season of, of T20 cricket is pretty good. And some good averages here, you know, Jack averaging 14, Birchie averaging 12, Paddy 16, Tom Key 19. Um and I'm not going to talk about yourself because you bowled 23 overs. God knows why. But um, I suppose all I can say is captain's prerogative. Isn't that right, Crossy? Yeah, well, I was making up for a bit of lost time last year. 
um, with the ball. Um, <laughs> I'd like to say, um, but yeah, fan, fantastic from all the lads. You know what I mean, Jack Massey really proved himself as the as a front line spinner, and just his just his control was ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? We'd we'd come together before his spell, and we'd go right. Where do you want a ball? And Jack would tell me, right, I want a ball straight today. We'd set a field to him to ball straight. And he wouldn't even throw one down the offside. Everything would be straight. Everything would be fantastic. So um, it's it's more that element. And Birchie, Birchie obviously did an absolutely fantastic job. The old experience head did really, really well, bowled well. But then, like I said before, Paddy Turner and Tom Key opening the bowling week in, week out was was really the start that we needed. Like you said, between them, to have bowled nine maidens, uh, I know it doesn't sound a lot uh, throughout the cricket season, but in the shortened formats, really, really good. And and they kept swapping. As you can see, Paddy got a nice sort of five-wicket haul, five for nine, I think, against Marple. And then Tom Key, I don't think, took a wicket for the first four or five weeks, uh, but then swapped roles with Paddy and started taking wickets. So they bowled really well in partnership. Um, shout out as well to Ben Kerwin who uh, bowled really, really well all season. Bowled good lines, good lengths, especially for a young lad coming up from the academy again. Best of four for 19. And then Chris Moores, the ever-reliable Chris Moores, bowling a bit of seam and a bit of spin. Uh, one of my favourite moments from the season was probably me asking Chris to bowl spin, but we didn't tell Finn. Um, so Finn was stood 10 yards back, <laughs> waiting for the waiting for the ball to come down and let's just say it took Finn and the batsman by surprise when Chris Moores came up and uh, gave it one of the old Moores left arm orthodox. Fair to say Finn got a ample fine for that as well. I would expect nothing less. Um, the next thing I will just mention is a bit of fielding statistics. Finn McCants there with 13 catches um, and 13 dismissals but again he must have fielded well because Angus Thompson, seven catches, one run out. Uh, ben Kerwin, eight catches. Chris Moore, six catches, one run out. Um, and John Birchall, three catches, two run outs. I assume fielding was something, that, especially playing T20 cricket, not that we don't take fielding seriously in any format, but playing that T20 cricket of fielding, you must have set a pretty sort of high price on. Um, and how pleased were you to see those sort of numbers and generally the fielding performance? Yeah, no, I thought it was so, so good uh, in every department. But I think it all came from sort of like training. We all had a real love for fielding, having quite a young side. We all love catching balls. We all love throwing balls. We all love just getting in the way of balls, really. Which you do. The <laughs> and there wasn't even any shower smiles. Um, we we can probably cut this bit out <laughs> wherever you like. <laughs> I, I think I think we can cut out the whole everyone loving balls. <laughs> oh no, that's that's staying in. Don't even worry about it. Carry on. So yeah, we, we all had a real love and passion for fielding uh, every sort of like Tuesday, Thursday night. Um, we just have a bit of fun with it, really, hitting some high long balls and uh, everyone getting their hands on them, really, which is really promising to see. It was sort of like, felt a little bit like the Mac of old, um, where everyone was there to field, really, um, which is something that I always think is really, really good because you spend the majority of your time, especially as a batsman like myself, who gets out quite quickly, you spend the majority of your day fielding. Um, so it's important that you can enjoy it. It's important that you can do it well. And I think we really set some high standards in the field. Do you know what I mean? There's, you can probably count the number of drop catches on one hand. Um, 
but just generally just some of the arms that the lads have, especially young lads, Angus, Ben Kerwin, some of the some of the throws that they're delivering is is ridiculous. Um sort of like throwing it the length of the Macclesfield outfield, um, from driveway to tins, just with a remarkable amount of ease. But I suppose with those young lads they haven't quite had time to mess up the shoulders uh, just yet. Yeah, I mean, frankly, Crossy, if I can get it from one end of the wicket to the other, it's it's a miracle. So I've I've no really no idea what you're talking about, frankly, but um, it sounds very impressive. Yeah, and well, being able to watch you now the tins are down, we, we saw quite a few times that you did struggle to get it down the other end. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, another shout out to Finn McCant, who was very reliable behind the stumps, um, did an exceptional job throughout the season, and. Uh, all the best to Finn going on to his uh, new adventure over in Hull. What a glorious place that is too. Um, now, Crossy, moving on to uh, the Captain's Awards, as I said, first of all, I'd like to ask you for the Batter of the Year. Uh, batter of the Year, um, we'll take people as no surprise, would be Angus Thompson. Scored a lovely 64 not out, had, like you said, opening the batting five not outs really provided that stable platform that we all needed to bat around him and a really promising um, sort of like start to his first team career and look forward to having him around the side for the next few years, hopefully longer. Excellent. So just to run over his stats, 15 games, 15 innings, five not outs, 303 runs, a higher score of 64 not outs, averaging 30, 150 and striking at 77.4. And then moving on to the bowling, who was your bowler of the year? So my bowler of the year would be uh, Paddy Turner. Um, obviously came to us from Langley, having grown up at Mac, went away to Langley to um, weld his trade in and uh, came back and had a really, really promising uh, first season uh, playing at this level. Took 18 wickets um, with a best of five for nine, which bowling, especially at the start of the innings against some of the lads who have, uh, have certainly played Premier League cricket the majority of their lives or even better is uh, really, really good. And like you said, six maidens and being able to get that five for nine uh, really stands out. Yes, indeed. So his numbers, 63 overs, six maidens, 18 wickets with a best of five for nine, an economy rate of 4.59, strike rate of 21 and an average of 16.06. Now moving on to our most improved player of the year, please, Crossy. Again, there's quite a few candidates for this, especially having sort of like, um, like you said, missing half a first team this year at the start of the season. But I've, I've got to give it to uh, Ben Kerwin. Uh, really stood up uh, with both the bat and the ball when required. Very, very good in the field as well. Um, so hopefully he can progress and, like you said, take it into next year and uh, improve on his performances even more. Absolutely. And Ben Kerwin, just a few stats. He played 17 games, 10 innings. He scored 101 runs with a best of 41 not out. And with the bowling... He bowled 38.3 overs, uh, 11 wickets with a best of 4 for 19, a strike rate of 21 and an average of 25.3. And I thought it might be worth uh, just talking about his performance towards the end of uh, a game at Bollington. Um, Ben's a pretty feisty young lad and, and frankly, within the next couple of years, doesn't look like he's going to be much fun facing, especially in the nets uh, when you can't see it. Um, yeah, anything to tell us about that game? Uh, just just showed a lot of um, a lot of heart, really. Um, likes likes giving it uh, out, which some is something I'm a massive fan of. 
Um, obviously, it's something that I've done throughout quite a lot of my career. I've tried to tone it down a little bit now. Um, but in, in that game in particular, I remember he gave it to a couple of their lads and um, and he really backed it up with his batting performance. Um, and I think earned, earned the respect of a lot of lads from Bollington, but also quite a few of the lads in our side as well. Um, so it was really, really good to see. And and I like the way that he reacts around that sort of like confrontation. Um, I think, I hope he's learned a lot as well in terms of that this year. Um, and I tried to teach him a few ways to wind people up even more. <laughs> of course you did. And I'm moving on to our final Captain's Award, Crossy. It's the Player of the Year. So there were a couple of candidates for this. Um, obviously, could have been any of the aforementioned. Uh, there was also uh, John Birchall in there, who had a really good uh, season with the bat and ball, as per. Uh, but this year, I'd, I'd give it to Jack Massey. Uh, came fourth in the run scorers, topped the bowling stats, and really, really progressed um, from, from last year, taking lots of wickets. Um, being consistent with the bat and um, and good in the field as well. Um, so, well done, Jack. And just a few numbers for Jack. 17 games, 12 innings, 162 runs with a highest score of 35. And of course, 70 overs, 22 wickets with a best of 3 for 11. So, Crossy, the last thing I kind of want to talk about is um, obviously your plans for next year. Um, you know, learning what you've learned about the players that you've got at your disposal and perhaps a few players that will be coming back to us next year um, and indeed your own experiences, you know, captaining and leading the side at that level. What what would you say your sort of aims and uh, aspirations are for next season? Oh, never again, Miles, never again. <laughs> no, um, like you said, I think depending uh, how we recruit this this winter, um, we can have a real push to the prem. Um, I think it'd be good to have I think it'd be good for the development of the side to have a couple more seasons in Div 1. Um, just sort of like, especially the young lads playing the trade um, throughout it. But having all those old experience heads around as well, um, which I think is really, really important um, to have sort of like the mix of the young and the old and then some people in the middle. Um, so hopefully next year we can push on. Um, obviously the last few proper seasons we've had, we've, we've finished quite quite low down the table. So it'd be nice to sort of like definitely secure our position as one of the top half uh, teams in Div 1 and then hopefully um, push for promotion as well. But like you said, it we've got that young cohort there, which is uh, which is exceptional coming through the academy. And then people like John Birchall and sort of like my unsung hero for the year, really, um, Chris Moores, um, played, played every game for me and offered so much support. Um, obviously, as I mentioned before, my first year of captaincy, and I can't say how thankful I am to Chris for everything that he's done, giving me advice on and off the pitch, and just being being there as a bit of a soundboard, really, and being able to bounce ideas off him, him telling me that I'm speaking rubbish the majority of the time. Um, <laughs> but there's no change there. So, so, like I said, I think throughout this sort of like recap, I think we've mentioned absolutely everyone, um, which just shows how much of a all-round team performance this year was. So couldn't be proud of the lads and hopefully everyone at the club sees uh, a slight change in mentality and um, hopefully we can push forward and enjoy the next few years. Absolutely, Crossy. And, and if I may, 
far be it from me to take any enjoyment on giving you any credits or uh, personal plaudits but i think in fairness to you a lot of credit should go your way for the way in which you've um, approached the club as club captain not just first team captain um, there's a lot to be said for having the right mindset uh, with regards to training and and ethos and, and just enjoying cricket and having a lot of fun and i think that's very apparent to anyone that um you know team have really enjoyed their cricket this year and I think um, you've done a great job in engaging not just your first team players but but everybody at the club um, and uh, yeah, I'm going to finish giving you credit now because uh, you've you've already had far too much but you know all joking aside well done to you for for, for first season as uh, as first team and club captain. Oh thank you Miles you can keep it coming if you want uh, it's absolutely fine with me. Absolutely not. Crossy, thank you very much for that. And now moving on to our second team season review. Gives me great pleasure to welcome back Chris France, second team captain, all the way back from uh, the beginnings of Get It Whacked. What episode were you on again, Frenchy? I can't remember. I think I was on the second one. Lost in the Adams of Time. I don't think anyone needs to be listening to that one personally. But, you know, I don't think it was much good quality content for me anyway. Well, I'm sure you're doing yourself a disservice. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll get on to your uh, your captain's awards later on in the episode but first of all i thought it'd be great just to get your thoughts and uh, maybe paint the picture for the season yeah absolutely so obviously we were in a bit of a covid restricted season uh, it was competitive in the second 11 premier league we were split into like an east and a west division and um, captains had the option of either playing 2020 or 40 over cricket and if there was no consensus reached then it was default to 2020 so we had we had options basically, and we had a very young side with. Uh, I'm not going to apologise for this. We crossy pilfering half my team from last year to go up for ones. It, it gave plenty of opportunities to to lots of our juniors, and um, we'll get on to how they did in a little bit. Well, I would counter that with saying, uh, Frenchy, that uh, in crossy pilfering half of your players, then you did the uh, the only honest thing and pilfered loads of mine. So uh... I think it's got to be done, hasn't it? I think that's the way the um... yeah. I was going to swear, I realised it was a podcast. Um, it's the way it slides. Yeah, it's the, it's the natural order of things. So what I thought we might do is just initially go back and um, look at just a, a few snapshots of a few games. Obviously, we won't dwell on things as uh, we went through these games individually each week during the season. But if we take uh, take us all the way back to the first game of the season, which was the 25th of July, and Macclesfield uh, played host to Marple. Do you remember too much about this game? Obviously, it's, you know, it must have been quite strange at the time getting back to it after all the COVID restrictions and working out what we were doing. Um, I think we played two T20s, didn't we? We did play two T20s, and, and actually, I don't think I played at all in this game. I think I was... Oh no, I did play. Well, that shows how well I remember it. Um, yeah, so we played two T20s. Um, I guess my inaugural game, uh, captain in twos. Marple at home. I seem to remember that there were two pretty close games. And actually, both the games we played against Marple home and away went both ways. First game, they beat us after we had a, a bit of a catastrophic batting performance. And then second game, we, we very much rallied and there was a lot of, com- there was a hard conversation set at half time effective, talking about how we needed to go out and, and show a bit of ability and, a, 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 and show how we can all perform, especially as a particularly young team. And I have to say, on that day, um, Dan Isherwood and, and Sam Buckingham in the second game rose to the challenge admirably, both scored 50s on what I remember was not a particularly good wicket, which used to be the story of our season. But I think, you know, honours shared between us and Marple, both games in, in, in both home and away legs, was, was fairly fair. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I remember sort of discussing this with you at the time. And, and I think Marple sort of got 116 in their first game. And, and as you say, Mac were sort of bundled out for 52 and a bit of a hard chat was had in between uh, in between the games and obviously Marple then scored 122 and, and Macclesfield knocked it off one down with a couple of 50s from uh, from Isherwood and, uh, and Buckingham so you know a, a good start to the season and, and pleasing I suppose from your point of view as a captain to see that you know you could make some changes in between games with a very young inexperienced side and and whilst uh, the batting might have been a bit fragile in the first game obviously it showed that even with a young bowling attack you could clearly compete with um, some of the other teams at this standard do you do you remember anything specifically about the sort of bowling efforts in both games and in the field yeah so i remember we had like a, a pretty young and ex an inexperienced bowling attack yeah so we gave debuts to um four juniors that game so will jennings ethan morris and alec terry from a bowling perspective um and we also had henry mitchell playing in, in what was his probably his second competitive season on the batting side you know we we gave nick moss his debut and actually harrison so six debutants for this game of the season which is which is no mean feat i have to say you know the bowlers acquitted themselves really well in both games uh backs up by myself and parksy who who added age and wisdom to proceedings but will ethan henry and alec all, all bowled really really well i mean there was no bowler who was sort of stand out and, and got after in either of the games and actually, you know, Ethan showed very early on then that he was just horrible to bat against. And that was sort of a common pattern throughout the season for us. Well, uh, moving on to another one of our games. I mean, the following week, this is the 1st of August. Again, we won't dwell too much, but um, Macclesfield uh, made the short trip to Alderley Edge. And I seem to remember there was uh, quite a bit of badgering from their captain who was frankly hounding you all week about playing a 40 over game to which you promptly refused and said no pal we're playing two t20s and uh, i think you were somewhat vindicated as in the end uh, macclesfield beat them in both games i think it's fair to say uh, what what do you remember about this any any amusing stories from captaincy exchanges oh yeah so i mean this is probably the highlight of the of the two season i think this weekend at the edge which is never an easy place to go and they've always got you know a a fairly strong team backed up by some um, famous parents, typically. Um, I remember their captain nagging me all week via WhatsApp saying, you know, let's play 40 overs, let's play 40 overs. And, and we'd taken a view, me and Parks, early on that, you know, where possible, especially if we thought we could compete, but we were going to take an opportunity to play 2020s. With our young bowling and batting lineups, it just made sense to give people a two chances in the day, but more importantly, you know, there's nothing worse when you've got a very young bowling attack and you don't have many options to change things. If someone gets after you, you just, you just can't break that partnership. So I didn't think it would benefit any of our players. But yeah, I mean, you know, we restricted all the edge to under 100 in both games and um, chasing it down in 14.3 overs in the first game and setting them 135 in the second, showing we could bat both first and second. Uh, Tom Carter was magnificent that day with the bats in both games, caused absolute mayhem whacking um, Alfie Vaughan to all corners ground, much to his father's disappointment, as I think I said in, in the episode at the time. But yeah, it, it was just a really, really strong performance from everyone we fielded, probably the best we did in the game. Will Jennings and Henry Mitchell were really strong in both games, and, and as was Ethan. So, you know, it, it was a dominant performance. It was probably our most dominant performance of the season. And yeah, 
got nothing negative to say about that day. It was a great day out, and despite a little bit of rain flying around, you know, we, we got two wins under the belt. Excellent. Well, there are a couple of anecdotes I want to dwell on, because as much as this is all about stats and uh, badgerisms, it's always nice to uh, point a bit of fun at someone's direction and someone's expense. Um, so the first one was a story that was told to me by Tom Radley, who was uh, absolutely pumped up to be playing Oddly Edge. He, he'd had dreams about the fact that, you know, Oddly Edge were going to be short and Flintoff or Vaughan was going to have to be called in at the last minute and Tom was going to be there bowling and schnick one of them off and it would be his crowning achievement. He'd never pick up a cricket ball ever again and, you know, he could he could rest his head knowing that he'd done his his ultimate dream. Uh, sadly, that didn't happen. However, he did tell me that he uh, he ran all the way around the boundary and put in a big sliding stop to stop the ball, picked it up one hand and threw it back in. And apparently uh, Michael Vaughan was on the boundary and, and said, nice fielding, mate, to which uh, Radis promptly melted and uh, he's not stopped telling me about it since. And the, the other one that I'm, I'm going to leave to you because obviously I wasn't there and and the, the, the individual in question wouldn't recount this story to me. But let's just talk about Adam Longshaw on the boundary and Ethan Morris with a double teapot. OK, so let's start with a Radders story, because I think there needs to be a certain level of correction there. I think Radders might have got a little bit carried away with himself. I seem to remember him, him doing a, you know, a, a bit of regulation boundary work where he, you, you ran 10 yards, which for Radders is about four steps. And, and, and you know, uh, we a slide which wasn't required to cut the ball off, pick the ball up and, and threw it back in. You know, the sort of thing you'd, you'd expect to be regulation, um, especially from a second teamer. So, you know, if if, if that sort of really lit up his season, then I'm sorry, Radis, but I'm going to I'm gonna have to take that one away from you a little bit. And that brings us on nicely to Longshore. When we talk about sort of regulation boundary fielding, so long as this wasn't, off Ethan, the guy smashes one straight down the ground. Longest does well to make up sort of 10, 15 yards going straight towards the side screen. Puts him at, you know, full on dive, stops the ball, does a great bit of work, gets up, is in the point of saving two. And then inexplicably, and I can only say inexplicably, he must have had like a short circuit or something. Just sort of goes to throw the ball and just deposits it so the boundary for four. And everyone just stood there wondering, you know, what had happened? I mean, I guess... If Radders had seen that bit of fielding and then compared his own, I can understand why he, he, he thought that you know Vaughan would be so impressed because he just must have assumed that the standard at, at Macclesfield Creek was so low. <laughs> Very good. I enjoy the fact that you've managed to bury both of them in, in one swift tale. So uh, excellent work, Chris France. Um, now, moving swiftly on, it wouldn't be an episode if I didn't say that, let's be honest. Towards the end of the season, I think yourself and Parksy sort of took the decision that whilst it would have been prudent at the beginning of our curtailed season to play some T20s, you kind of wanted to switch to sort of trying to play some 40-over cricket with one eye on next year. Obviously, it's it's going to be a hard season in the twos prem again after the promotion last season. And so the decision, I believe, was taken by yourselves to, to switch to trying to play some 40-over games and just give some of the guys a bit of experience and match practice at that level of, of playing some longer format cricket. Cricket. Obviously, 
with the results and, and stuff that might not necessarily have gone our way. Um, but I, I just thought I'd get your, your take on, on that decision and, and kind of, you know, what you saw and, and what you see as the benefits from that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was an odd one because on paper, it looks like we made a terrible, terrible call. Because if you look at the 2020s we played, so we played eight 2020s, we won half of them, which to be fair, playing at the standard, we were in a in second 11 of Prem. I'm pretty happy with. We decided to make the change to playing 40 over cricket for, for a couple of reasons. One, it is going to be reflective of what we do next year, but also it was to try and get some of our bowlers to get used to bowling longer spells. So the likes of Jenna, Ethan, Brad Porter, when he came into the team, obviously probably hadn't bowled longer spells at that level before. And so actually, you know, it kind of made sense to give him a go at that level. And, and, and if you look at it, the, the young players who came into the team actually probably weren't the problem. And the, the problem was our, our, our batting tended to be a little bit fragile. And again, you know, we had a, we had a young batting lineup and uh, people who were playing uh, at a level they hadn't previously. But I guess there was a bit of work to be done over winter to, to build that resilience as a batting unit and to sort of get over the line. Um, but hopefully next year we'll, we'll welcome some more players back who haven't been able to play this year and, and strength enough. But, you know, it, it didn't look good on paper. I think it was the right decision for the development of the team. And certainly people like Will Jennings and Ethan and, and Henry Mitchell and Brad will definitely benefit from bowling long as well. So don't regret making the call. No, absolutely not. And I, and I can... You know, I can only assume that everybody's thinking the same thing, which is that you know, a development and an eye for next year on in let's face it, a season that you know didn't didn't mean a great deal. Um, I think we can all say that was probably the right thing to. Well, not probably in my eyes, it was definitely the right thing to do, and uh, sort of commend you for for taking that decision. Really, one of the other things I thought we'd maybe sort of go on to now is is just to, to talk about a few stats and things, and maybe highlight a few individual kind of performances before we get on to uh, the sort of captains awards. So just taking a look at the, at the batting for Macclesfield, the runs uh, are topped by James Coombs, who played 11 games, three not outs, and scored 206 runs with a high score of 41. Uh, Tom Carter, who played a few less games, it has to be said, with six appearances um, for 154 runs with a high score of 66, as you mentioned. And then yourself uh, in third with uh, 85 runs, high score of 37. And um, some gentleman uh, from Mo Cop, who we won't talk about, who, who chipped in with 82 runs and a high score of 57. Obviously, as you said, you know, the batting was perhaps the sort of more fragile area. And, and I think being shorn of, uh, you know, the likes of Messrs, Isherwoods, yourself at times, and some more of the experience in that top uh, six, you know, what, what were your sort of feelings on the batting, really, and, and any of those individual performances or some numbers? I have to say, um, if you look at the top two, so Carter and Coombsy, both solid for us this year. Both did a really good job. Coombsy had a pretty hard time of it. I mean, opening the batting in, in a T20 format is probably not something he he looks forward to when he wakes up in the morning. I know personally he definitely prefers to play 40 over cricket to 20. But again, it, it's, it's all about the learning experience and learning to play different dynamics in different games. But if I look at you know some of his, his performances where he, he did the best, it was actually Marple away, where he basically went the whole day unbeaten batted through both innings, provided sort of a rock of which we built two good scores around. So one chasing down quite a, quite a significant score in the first innings and the second setting our, our highest score of the season in the second. So, you know, Coombsy, I think, matured over the course of the season. I don't think we had the best decks, which again didn't suit him, but yeah, he did really well. And, and I have to say Tom Carter playing 
probably his first season up at second team level. Six games, 154 runs with um, a top score of 66. I mean, I can't really argue with that, really. He came and did a job for me, batted sort of three or four whenever I needed to. He was always a fairly positive batsman to bring into the equation. Excellent. And then perhaps moving on to some of the bowling stats, where I think, obviously, there are, there are a few more uh, sort of key contributions and some you know, better all-round numbers. Um, we're headed at the top of the wickets column with Ethan Morris, um, who took 12 wickets in 45.3 overs um, at an economy rate of 3.9. And again, in mainly T20 cricket, that, those are good numbers. Um, second was Will Jennings with 10 wickets, um, 51.4 overs and an economy of 4.6. And then Henry Mitchell in third with nine wickets off 37 overs at an economy of 5.4. So I guess that really just goes to demonstrate exactly what you were talking about which was that coming into the season with a very young inexperienced side and and in both batting and bowling but to see your top three bowlers as all the juniors and and some of those you know lesser experienced players must be uh, quite um, quite reassuring really um any anything you want to mention about any of those sort of numbers and and, and performances yeah i mean i think if you look at my top three bowlers as you said you know ethan will and, and henry i mean that's just a fantastic sight to see really youngest three bowlers I effectively could have picked, with the exception maybe of Brad Porter, bowling 45, 50 and 40 overs respectively. You know, looking down the list, you know, all of them are bowling more than Porter Senior, all bowling more than Parkseed, more than Radders, and I only bowled about four overs this year, so way more than me. And, you know, if we talk about that, that development, you know, they, they did a great job. And it wasn't just bowling middle overs either. You know, Will frequently opened the bowling the twos which again just speaks to that you know that ability he's got Ethan again was you know absolutely vital for us in death overs and, and you know and the game against Cheadle took some really really key wickets you know I, I, can't, I can't really say anything negative about it Miles I mean that's just it's such a good sight to see and I just hope that next year you know we're able to make sure that they're getting to play the amount of cricket which keeps developing them as players. Fantastic. Well, I think now we're going to move on towards um, the end of this uh, section of the podcast and, and talk about the Captain's Awards. And as I said with Crossy, um, these are not necessarily the official awards of the year, but certainly I think um, the Captains have definitely got a right to uh, to dish out their own personal awards, especially on the uh, the official podcast of Macclesfield Cricket Club. So, first of all, I'd like to ask you for the Batsman of the Year. Batsman of the Year is a bit of a hard choice. With Carter's 66 and his slightly higher average, I'm going to go go with him. Over, over Coombs, it was a very tight one and got me many sleepless nights. <laughs> so Tom Carter, six games, six innings, one not out, 154 runs with a high score of 66, averaging 30.8 and striking at dead on 100. So congratulations to Tom Carter. Now moving on to the bowler of the year. So for my bowler of the year, again, this was really, really tough. I'm going to go with Ethan Morris over Will Jennings just because of the number of wickets taken. Between the two of them, there was very little. Uh, they both did a fantastic job for me. Fantastic. So Ethan Morris, 45.3 overs, six maidens, 12 wickets, conceding 180 runs with a best of two for 13, um, an economy rate of 3.9 and a strike rate of 22.7 and an average of 15, which I think in predominantly T20 cricket is, uh, is some pretty good numbers. So congratulations to Ethan. Now moving on to our third captain's award, we're going to talk about the most improved player. So my most improved player for the 2020 COVID season is going to be Will Jennings. 
So this might come as an odd one because I know uh, Jenny's been around the, the cricket club for a while, but he, he was someone who I'd never played with prior to this season. You know, when he steps up to the twos, I've ne- never really seen him play cricket before. And I have to say, I'm just incredibly impressed with with all aspects of his cricket. He, he bowls really well and he, he can take responsibility for the new ball. Uh, he's good in the field and he's not afraid to say a few words either, which is which is nice when you bring a, a young player up. So yeah, absolutely, most improved player me fantastic and i think it is worth uh, just pointing out that jeno um not played loads of cricket in the last sort of 18 months up until the start of the season i think um you know as happens to some young lads had a bit of burnout um perhaps lost a bit of love for the game and uh, you know at one stage i, I personally i was a little bit worried that we, we might have lost him uh from cricket but um he turned back up towards the the start of when we could start training again back in the lockdown and yeah looked looked like he hadn't really picked up a batter a ball in 18 months but um in my eyes i was thinking well fantastic if we can get him back into the third team getting him enjoying his cricket you know it's going to be great for next year when he can push on but to see him step up in that first game as you say and uh, and come into the twos and look absolutely right at home is uh, is really pleasing hopefully he's he's rediscovered the bug so congratulations to will jennings for the most improved and then lastly uh, frenchy i'd like to ask you for your player of the season so this is an absolutely impossible task Miles. If, if i look across the season and i look at you know all the individuals who played and, and taken part then you know, it's really, really hard to call out one individual who, who should have player of the year. So after much thought, I decided to give this to our juniors who, who turned out for us sort of week in, week out and, and got some shoeings at times and, and had some great moments. So that's um, Ethan Morris, Will Jennings, Emmy Mitchell, James Coombs, Bradley, not Rob Porter, and Alec Terry. Well, congratulations to all the juniors. And um, I must say, Frenchie, congratulations to yourself for uh, coming in in your first year of captaincy and kind of steering the ship in in a tricky season um, and just hearing you, you know, have uh, so much faith and and for that to be backed up by the performances of, of lots of our juniors is is a, a real testament to, to obviously what you're trying to achieve. Um, and yeah, I think the last thing to ask you is just some aims for next season, really. Obviously going into, hopefully, <laughs> a full season playing 50 over cricket or 100 overs in the day uh, in the twos prem. So yeah, what, what are your sort of aims and aspirations? It's quite funny because I remember you asking me this question all, all way back on the podcast sort of, as we were sort of in the second week of lockdown or, or however long ago it was, and you asked me the same question. And you know what? I think actually my aspirations and my goals have changed somewhat since then. So next year, I'd like to play a full season. I'd like to um, not play with any silly um, sanitising of the ball and, and COVID restrictions. It'd be nice to get back to sort of cricketing normality. Um, so that's sort of goal number one is just to have a normal season. So I think it would benefit everyone's mood, morale and thoughts. Um, the second thing is, you know, for Macclesfield as a club, it's really important that we consolidate our position in the Prem. So, you know, I'm looking for a mid-table finish for the team. And I'm, I think, you know, from what I've seen this year, I think we can absolutely beat teams in the second team Prem. You know, all on the edge, we, we turned over. You know, Marple, we were able to beat. If you think if there's only a couple of teams who go down, I don't think it should be us who goes down next year. So I feel comfortable in saying that I think we've got the team to stay up next year. Fantastic. Well, Frenchie, thanks once again for uh, making a, yet another appearance on the Mac Report. And I think we'll uh, we'll probably say 
adieu for now but uh, who knows maybe you'll crop up in a forthcoming episode at some point depending on how much uh, you pay me or how much beer you give me at some point and I agree to have you on again. Who knows? I, I thought you had to give me the beer or the money to get me to come on. I thought that's how it worked, Miles. I, I didn't feel I was paying a, a reverse appearance. <laughs> Clearly, I'm getting ideas of my station. So, uh, Frenchie, thanks very much for that. And, of course, thanks to James Cross for his contribution at the beginning of the podcast. And that was the Ones and Twos Season Mac Report. <laughs>